Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. going on church those of you who don't know me my name is David I'm one of the pastors here on staff I get the privilege of wrapping up for Samuel with you today and really our series unless we turn first before we do that I got a few announcements for you and just some things you need to know first what we're about here at Heights is the gospel community and mission we're about the story of God we're about the people of God and we're about taking that story of God to people who do not yet know it that's what we're about. And the primary way that we live that out is through missional communities. So if you're in here and you don't know what a missional community is, that means you should probably like talk to me after service or majority of the room because I'll fill you in on what that is. You can check out our missional communities on the Church Center app, which is where you can do literally everything in the life of our church is going on there. You can register for uh, being here in the service or RSVP your kids for the kids' uh, ministry downstairs that's going on during service. And then for all the things that are happening next weekend that you guys need to know about. So if you're a covenant member here at Heights Community, our covenant member party is next Saturday from... Some people are excited. That's good. That's good. I'm glad that a few people are excited. Um, I'm going to butcher this. I think it's from 11 to 2. If the slide's up... Slides. Right. I, I'm, I should know, but I don't. So it's from 11 to 2 at Skateway. So we'll be at Skateway Skating Rink. It's Mark and Kate Hannah Skating Rink. will be there for our Covenant member party. It's going to be a great time. Uh, we have Josh Massey coming to lead worship for us. So that's going to be a really good time for that just to, to go and to celebrate, to hear what God is, has done this past year and what God is going what we feel that God is leading us to do, we can't tell God what to do. So what we feel like he's going to do in 2022 and talk about just all that's going on. And then on that Saturday, or on that Sunday, because this next week is going to be crazy getting ready for that, we have Justin Dean coming to preach. He's at Sacred City Church up in the Quad Cities. He's been a huge part of Corey's life, and so he's coming to fill in to preach for us. You guys won't want to miss that, so make sure you RSVP and that you're here for that. And then next Sunday also, if you're new and you've been checking out Heights in the past month or so, we have our newcomers lunch following the 1045 service next week. So you can go on the Church Center app and you can um, RSVP for that. We'll have lunch and you'll get to just hear more about who we are as a church and who we're not. And it's a really good time if you're like, man, I just kind of want to know a little bit more about this church and what they're doing and what they're not doing. You should really come check that out. I'll get the privilege of leading that. So it'll be a great time. But I'm really glad you guys are here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dig into this text. God, um, Lord, you've been working in my own heart this week as I've walked, walked through this whole text and just looking at uh, just an unrepentant heart of Saul. God, I pray that just in my own life you'll reveal sin that maybe I've been unrepentant of, God, I've clinged to and, and just formed it into an idol, Lord, instead of looking to you and seeing how you're better. Um, God, I pray that as we dig into this, Lord, that your words will come through me, that I'll just be a conduit for your truth and for your love. God, that our, your people will hear from you and that because of it, we'll just be transformed more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, I get the privilege of wrapping up 1 Samuel. We've been in this series called Lest We Turn, 
literally all year. We took a break in the summer and we looked at 1 Thessalonians. And other than that, we were in uh, Joshua and then we were in Judges and then Ruth and then 1 Samuel. So what we did is the plan was is last November in 2020, we, we sat down as elders and we planned out this whole sermon series of what we wanted to preach through for the year. And we knew that we wanted to preach through Joshua and we wanted to preach through Judges. And we're like, well, those are like, okay, if we did that, we might as well just keep going. And so really that's what it transformed into is like if we just keep going through those four books, it gives this really good picture of Israel and just what they're doing. And, and one day, not in 2022, but one day we'll probably pick up and pick up in Second Samuel and keep going through the whole Old Testament and just keep preaching through it book by book. But what we saw was this, is, and if you, if you were with us, you know, but I'm going to give you a, just a snapshot of it, is Israel is in the wilderness. They, they've been led by, by Moses, and they, they've been in this wilderness now, and, and Moses dies. And so Joshua comes up as the new leader of Israel, and he leads them out of the wilderness into what God has called the promised land, and they're there. They're, like Things are good, and they're being obedient to God, and God tells them, if you're obedient, you're, you're basically... You're never going to lose a battle. You're never going to have anything really go that terrible for you. Just be obedient. And they were until they weren't. And then things start going bad as they, you know, they start to compromise in little ways or one person decides they're going to steal a little bit of the gold they weren't supposed to take and then they go and they lose a battle. But God literally was fighting for them. If you remember, there were battles they would go and fight and they wouldn't even have to do anything. God was raining down rocks like a sniper from heaven and just taking out people or creating confusion and they were winning every battle that they went to. But as they went through Joshua's life, you would see moments of compromise and things would get a little rocky and Joshua would bring them back. Well, when Joshua dies, things just go crazy and people start sinning more and more and more. And so what would happen is they'd get oppressed by another nation and then God would send a judge in who would come and he would judge the land and he would he'd basically rescue Israel from the oppression of these people, whoever it might be at that time. And you saw some really messed up people. You had Ehud, who was the left-handed assassin who stabbed a guy and he went to the bathroom all over himself. It was, you know, like it was a, it was a bad thing. Like this, so then you have Gideon, who was a coward, and then he decided he didn't want to be king, but he acted like a king. And then his son, Ambalik, came and took over after him and was a horrible person. And then you had Samson. If you remember Samson, like that was just a messed up story. Like Samson had all kinds of issues. He would have been in counseling for sure if he was living in 2021. The guy is just a mess. And then you have this horrible civil war at the end of the book of Judges where this guy's concubine gets just brutally murdered and cut up into 12 pieces and sent to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Like, it is chaos going on. But in the midst of all this with Judges, there's this beautiful story of Ruth. That the book of Ruth comes after the book of Judges. And you see this story of this Moabite widow with her mother-in-law traveling back to Israel, and she gets redeemed by this man. And, and it's just this beautiful story of a kinsman redeemer coming in and taking her and marrying her and really just like... It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is going to do. We're, we're widowed. We're out there on our own. And he comes and he redeems us and makes us his bride. And then we finish up judges and we see the nation of Israel calling for a king. They want to be like every other nation. They're rejecting the one true king, God. And they're like, we need a king. We want to be like everyone else. We want to fit in. 
which is what we do so often in our own lives. We see the rest of the world, and we're like, well, I want to fit in. I want to be like them. And so God finally tells Samuel, the prophet, he goes, fine, give him a king. Just give him a king. Anoint Saul your king. And so Saul comes along, and he it's kind of a doofus. If you, when you first discover Saul in 1 Samuel, he's out looking for his dad's donkeys that he lost, and he can't even find the donkeys. And so he gets fed up, and the guy that was with him, his servant, says, well, why don't we seek a man of God to maybe tell us where the donkeys are at? And that's how they find Samuel, and then that God's like, that's your guy. And then when he like, shows him to the nation of Israel, he's hiding in baggage. He's just... He's like, oh, this is this is it. This is what you're getting. You wanted a king, here you go. And so, but he does some good things. Like he conquers some battles and he starts to get Israel on the right track. But then he starts to go from committed to God to compromising, then straight up just complacent and just doing whatever he wanted to do and sinning. And that's kind of where we see through this whole life of Saul is that he is just a mess. And now we're at the end of First Samuel. And he has been rejecting God, and he's been warned of what would happen, and now we get to see the death of Saul. So I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is what it says in verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilbal. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. And Adabab, I cannot pronounce that name, and Malachi Shu and the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not do it, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his, upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilbal. And so they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtoreth, and they fastened his body to the wall in Beth Shan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the violent men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. They took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. So this is a mess. If you like, could track with me, I read kind of fast there. Like Saul dies. Like If you've ever watched the movie 300, I'm not telling you to go do that, but I have, okay? So you can judge me later, all right? So in that movie, like if you remember, like they're, they're fighting, and, and they, those dudes start shooting arrows like at the end. I'm running for you. It's been out for too long, so sorry if it's a spoiler to you. But they just get like lit up with arrows. Like That's kind of what I picture here is Saul's just lit up with arrows, and he's like, I'm going to die. I don't want these guys to kill me because they're going to like put me to shame, which they do anyway. So he falls on his sword and kills himself. And now it's not just that, but his sons are dead, all his men are dead, and then it says that they abandoned the cities and they fled. So like the cities of Israel are abandoned, and the Philistines have moved in. Ultimate shame has come in, came in here. And here's the problem with this. This did not have to happen. This did not have to be the end for Saul. 
All he had to do was repent, but he was unrepentant. His heart was unchanged. His heart was hardened towards God. And the first thing I need us to see today is this, is unrepentant, willful disobedience is the clearest sign of an unchanged heart. Like, take that in for a minute, see it on the screen, and we can just leave that up there. I want you to, to really to see that, because here's the problem, and this is my biggest gripe about the American church, is that the American church is filled with people who are not Christians. There's a bunch of people who go to church and do religious activity, but they have an unrepentant, willful disobedience, and that means their heart's not changed. You cannot continue to live in the same sin that you once lived in and not care one bit about it and be like, oh, well, it's okay. God saved me. Thank God for grace. That's not how this works. Like it, Paul's very clear, like, should you keep on going in sin more so, this, so that grace will abound more? And he says, certainly not. Like, he's very adamant about that we don't do that. That's not now. Let me give some caveats here. You're not going to be sinless. You're not going to be sinless. You're never going to stop sinning while you're here on this earth. One day in eternity when you are either uh, taken away because Jesus has returned or you pass away and you're now glorified with Jesus, like, yes, you will no longer sin. But right now in this life, you will sin. But if you're unrepentant about it, that, are, that should scare you. That should absolutely terrify you. Because as that saying, there's, there's something either wrong in your Christian walk or you're not really saved. God's never changed you. Willful disobedience with an unrepentant heart, that is a clear sign. Now, there's a difference, though, in willful disobedience and ignorance, okay? Like, if you did not know that something was a sin to do and you were doing it, you'd be like, well, how was I supposed to know? Well, once you know, are you upset about it? Does it bother you? Like, man, like, I shouldn't be doing that anymore. There's things you might not know are sinful to do. Like, I mean, I have kids. Like, I've raised them, right? Like, they didn't know not to do certain things until I had to tell them not to do them. And so for us, we have to understand that, like, we're never going to be sinless in this life, nor does anyone really know what's going on in your heart between you and God. Like, I can't, I don't, I can't look at any of you and, like, peer into your soul and know, like, exactly what's going on between you and God and your relationship with him. But the reality is, is there are clear signs to an unrepentant heart. I want to show you five signs of false repentance because these connect to Saul. This is what Saul did. He walked out all these through his life where he would, oh, I'm sorry for trying to kill you to David. You know, David was the uh, next appointed king to come. It took him almost 20 plus years to become king. And Saul kept trying to kill him. And he would say he was sorry, but yet he would, next time he saw David, he tried to kill him. So first one is this. These are five signs of false repentance is one, rationalization or blame shifting. We try to rationalize our sin. We're like, well, you know, if this wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have had to do this. Or it's not really that bad. I just looked at softcore porn. I didn't look at hardcore porn, so like, it's not that big of a deal, right? Like We try to justify our sins and rationalize it in our minds that what we're doing is okay. Or you shift the blame in that rationalization and said, if they wouldn't have done that to me, I would have never responded in this way. Well, guess what? They're not responsible for your emotions and your actions. Like We can't shift the blame. And so you can say, well, I'm sorry, but... That shows that you're not really, like, repentant. You're just sorry that it happened and it played out the way that it did. And then next, what we see is just unchanged behavior. People say that all the time, right? Like, I'll tell my kids, like, hey, stop. It's like, stop arguing with one another. But then, like, there's still, like, this five-minute lingering argument going on. They're like, okay, I'm sorry. But then they're still arguing as they walk into their bedroom. I have twin boys, for those of you who don't know. So, like, 12, 
12-year-old twin boys, they like to argue. Like, they'll get going. They're competitive with one another. And I'll be like, knock it off. I don't want to hear it. Stop. Well, they're like, okay, sorry. And then I can hear them in their bedroom. Like, they act like the door is an absolute sound barrier. I'm like, no, you're not getting it. I said to stop for real. And so for us, if we say we're repentant, but yet there's no changed behavior, then it would show that we're not really repentant. It would make no sense. And that's exactly what you see with Saul, is he's like, hey, David, I'm sorry, I'll never kill you. We saw it a few weeks ago, last time I preached, right? David snuck into the, or Saul came into the cave to go to the bathroom, Saul, or David sneaks up, cuts the corner of Saul's robe off, and when Saul leaves the cave, David's like, hey, I cut this off, and I could have killed you. And then Saul's crying, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done this. He wasn't sorry, he's just sorry that it played out the way that it happened. Next, another sign of this, of false repentance, is the wrong kind of sorrow. I think this is super important for us to really focus on. The wrong kind of sorrow. Because what we'll do is we'll have guilt, not grief. Well, guilt, not grief. When you are guilty about something, it's because you got caught. Like, how many of us have been caught in something and you never got the chance to confess it? You never got the chance to come clean about it? You just got caught. You're like, oh, dang it. Now, now what do I do? Because what happens, you're sorry you got caught. You're not sorry for what you did. And we're like just sitting in that, and there's this guilt, and guilt, we'll get to this later, guilt does not lead to anything good because we're not condemned anymore in Christ. We're, that's gone. That's, that's taken away in what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so when we sit in this guilt, then other things start to dwell up in us, and it's not healthy at all. It's just not healthy at all, and it's a, it's a sign of unrepentance. I, it drives me nuts when people will come, and they'll be like, well, I got caught in this. My, my wife got a hold of my phone and found my text message or found my browsing history or whatever, and uh, this happened. I got caught. Well, are you really sorry? Because, like, that's not the way this works. Like, true repentance is, like, you're broken over your sin, and you're, you're, you're just grieving it. Like, you're, you're grieving, like, the loss of someone. Because you're sinning not just against one another, but you're sinning against a great God who is holy and righteous and without sin. So when we sin, we're not just sinning against someone. We're sinning against God. The next thing we see is this, is conditional obedience. I guarantee we've all in this room, if we're honest, we can raise our hands, we've all done this. We'll be like, God, I won't do X, Y, and Z if you'll do A, B, and C. Right? Like, you're like, God, if you just... My dog's going to die. I promise I will go to church every single Sunday for the rest of my life if you'll just, like, not let my dog die. Like, really? Like, you, you, we can laugh, but, like, we've done it. I guarantee it. I've done it. I, we've all just been in a spot where we're, like, we're hard-pressed, and we're like, God, I, I promise I'll never do this again if you'll just do this. Please. You cannot bargain with God. He's not to be bargained with. He is, he is the king over the whole universe. He is the creator of all things. He is not to be bargained with, to negotiated with. It does not work that way. He is not interested in what you can bring to him and say, well, I won't do this. He is interested in your heart being fully and completely surrendered to him and fully satisfied in him. That is all that he desires from you, and it's all for his glory. You have nothing that you can bring to him. I have nothing that I can bring to him. And he's like, oh, man, if they would just stop doing that, it'd make my life so much better. He's not looking for your conditional obedience. And then the last thing we see in this is a false sign of repentance is this, is partial obedience. Imagine this. Your spouse comes to you, and like, they, they didn't get caught. They, they're they just come to you and say, listen, um, 
I've been cheating on you. I've got five different people for five, from Monday through Friday. It's all different people. And I, I feel sort of bad about it. And I'm going to drop Tuesday and Thursday. I'm going to drop them, okay? Like, I'm, gonna, I'm trying here. You'd be like, you're ridiculous. Get out. Like, pack your bags. Maybe not even let them pack their bags. You'd kick them out. Like, you'd be furious. And that's sometimes what we'll do with God. We're like, God, I'm, I'm just going to, eh, you know, I'm going to do this. Or I'm not going to start tithing, but I'll, I'll give a dollar. I don't know. Like, we just try to find this partial obedience so that we feel like we're doing a favor for God. You're not doing a favor for God. He doesn't need your partial obedience. Again, he wants your complete and total surrender to him. And so when we see these things happening, when we see these kind of ideas, it's not, that's not repentance. You're just playing out some type of motions that you make you feel better about yourself. And we see that with Saul all through his life. We see him going through the motions of repenting and saying things. He confesses his sins. He'll even pray to God at times. He'll do religious activities. But here's the problem. He never dealt with the core issue of his, of his idolatry. And his idolatry was his own control and comfort. He wanted to have everything under his control. And he was worried about being accepted as king, especially once David came on the scene. Because what happens, right? They're singing the praises of Saul, but then they're singing the praises of David. That David's killed more Philistines. And he cannot handle that. He wants acceptance. He has an idol of acceptance. And so he never dealt with that. He never processed through it. That's why what we do in missional communities is so important. Because we talk about our own personal stories. Like, what's going on in your life? Tell me about who you are. What you've done from the time, basically, you've been a little kid through now. And we look at each other's lives. And this may scare some of you as not an MCs, but... It's what we do, and we'll be like, okay, well, so you deal with this in your life. Why? Maybe it's because you have a, an acceptance idol, or you, you struggle with this because you have a control idol. And what it helps is it points us back to the gospel to see where we really need to repent of these things and get our lives on track. But Saul was just going through the motions. And that's, a, that's what I said when I started the sermon, was that what drives me nuts about the American church is it's filled with people who are not Christians. And that's what you see. You see a bunch of people coming on Sundays, going through religious motions, not really trusting God, not really repenting of anything. Because when we fully repent, we're have, we have to fully trust in God and be completely satisfied in him. Then you'll find true repentance. And Saul never did that. He never was fully satisfied in God. He was fully satisfied in that he could be king. He was never truly trusting in God. He was doing things on his own, and he wasn't waiting for Samuel to show up to do sacrifices and, and the ceremonies they were supposed to do. He took it onto his own uh, hands to do it. And so just like Saul, we might feel horrible for what we've done. We might even make a vow to change. But if our hearts are left unchanged, then nothing's going to really happen. Here in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, this is what it says. So if, you t if you're a note taker, it's Ezekiel 36, verses 28 26 through 28, it won't be on the screens. This is what God says of us. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now, he's speaking to Israel in the Old Testament, but hear this. This so applies to us now. 
When you become a Christian, what happens? You confess your sins. You put your trust in God. Romans 10.9 is very clear about that. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that he died and rose again, you will be saved. That's what Romans 10.9 says. Okay, so that, let's say you've done that. You truly have repented and you, you've confessed that Jesus is Lord. What God does is he literally, because it says in other places in the New Testament, he takes your heart of stone, this wicked, evil heart that you have, and he's replaced it with a heart of flesh. He's made you new. And then it says he will put a new spirit in you. Well, here's for us. He has put his spirit in us. The Holy Spirit, if you're a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. You're born again, the Bible says. This is an amazing thing. Like This is nothing just to shrug our shoulders at. And he, it, it, Then he makes us his people, and he'll be our God. Like This is huge, that the God of the universe has made us his people. And so true repentance is the actions of someone who has truly been transformed by God. So no matter how much you go to church, no matter how much religious stuff you do, if you, you could get, we could blow up the holy hot tub over there and we could baptize you in it, the whole works, right? Like for those of you who don't know, that's how we baptize folks here. We have a hot tub from Royal King. We blow it up. We're really redneck, all right? So you guys got to wake up this morning. There's coffee out there. Um, so... You get baptized, you do all that stuff. It does not matter if you've never repented. If you've never made Jesus truly your Savior. And so I want you, I want you to hear these definitions of repentance from, from like some really solid uh, biblical theological minds. Charles Spurgeon writes this about repentance. Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love once he, love what he once hated and hate once what he once loved. So hear that. You would you're an enemy of God. We all were. And so Charles Spurgeon is saying you will now love what you once hated. You once you hated God. You may not have consciously thought of it that way, but you were in rebellion against him. And now you love God and the sin that you used to love you now hate. That shows repentance. J.I. Packer writes this. Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. That is huge, okay? Because here's the thing. Some of us are like, well, I just don't know my sin. I don't know what to do. And I love what he's saying. He says that repentance is from what you do know of your sin and what you do know of God, just turn, just do that much. And then if you're truly doing that, what's going to happen is you're going to mature in your faith. You're going to be sanctified more into the likeness of Jesus as you live out your Christian faith. Like we're not just saved and we're done. Like we continually being saved. And so this is amazing to think of it this way that our, as our knowledge of God grows and our knowledge of ourselves and our knowledge of our sin our repentance will change. Like you should get further and further away from this willful disobedience of sin because we have a repentant, changed heart. John Piper writes this, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and all our obedience. And that's how we have to really try to view God. Like if Saul would have viewed God for all that he was and all that he could do, for Saul, not, and it was not a prosperity gospel, like literally he, he could have reigned as king of Israel for his whole life. 
and God would have had a smooth transition to the next king, which would have been David. But Saul was disobedient. He didn't see God as worthy of praise and worthy of obedience. And so I want you to just pause right now. I want you to think, like, are you repentant? Truly repentant? Like, take that in for a minute. Because you're sitting here, like, you, you obviously believe something about God, or you wouldn't be sitting here. Like we've moved past the time in our culture where you need to be a member of a church to get a job. Or for, you know, like back probably 50, 60 years ago, you wouldn't have taken your car to get fixed at the atheist. You know, you're like, hey, you go to Joe. He's a good member at, you know, First United Methodist, or he's a good member at First Baptist Church of whatever. Like, you know, that, that mattered. It doesn't matter now. So why are you here if you're not truly repentant? Because I want you to think about this. I want you to really process this for a second. The fastest growing churches are in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. Those are the fastest growing churches in the world. You would not do this Christian deist moralism nonsense that we do in America there. There's no way. It would be the dumbest thing you could do. If, you and I, if you're in Iraq, like you either are not a Christian or you are and you're okay with everything that might happen to you because you trust in God that much. You would not just show up to their secret prayer meetings because it sounds like a cool thing to do to hang out with some people that you know. Like you are going to that because you are fully sold out, fully in love with God. You see him as, as beautiful as he is because you're going there with the risk of being murdered like your house being burned, your family. But you, and if you're a guy, you're probably going to watch everyone else in your family die, and then you're going to die. Like That's how bad it's going to be. But in America, there's no risk. You can come here. You can sit. You can enjoy all that happens. You're like, hey, I love the band. I, the preaching's okay. You know, like you can, you can whatever, and you can enjoy it, and then you can just go home, and no one really cares. They're the worst. And someone's like, I can't believe you waste an hour and a half of your Sunday. Like that would be it. If you're, if you're not repentant, like, why? I can't really fathom it because it doesn't make sense to spend that kind of time bought into something if you're not truly repentant because they would never do that in another country. They're truly repentant. They've been changed by God. And so I want you to think, would you claim to be a Christian if it meant that you were going to get thrown in jail, house burned down, lose everything you had, possibly murdered? Would you still claim to be a Christian if that was on, if that was on the table, if that's what you were going to have to face? Because if you're not repentant, you wouldn't. You'd bail in a second. There's no way. Why? I would never say I was something if I thought I was going to die, and if I really wasn't that. That'd be silly. And then next, I want you to see this, is that guilt leads to shame, but grief leads to a savior. This is a beautiful truth for us to sit in because we're, when we do something wrong, we're sitting in one of these two things. We're either sitting in guilt or we're sitting in grief. And we've got to battle through that and process through it in our lives. And if we're repentant, then the, the good thing is, is that we don't have the, the shame that comes with guilt. We, we've, our hearts have been changed. We'll grieve our sin, which points us back to a Savior who died for us. Like, we really don't have to have the guilt anymore. If you're repentant and your heart's been changed, you don't have to have the guilt because Jesus took the guilt for you by dying on the cross for your sins. So it's a, that's a beautiful thing for us. 
But if you're not repentant, then you're, going to, you're just going to sit in the guilt, and you're going to feel that, and that's not a place to be. Everything that Samuel warned Saul that was going to happen, it happened. Back in Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15, Saul gets warned by Samuel, and he tells him, hey, you're going to die. Your sons are going to die. You're going to be stripped of your armor. The kingdom is going to be ripped from you. Like All this is going to take place if you do not repent and change. Saul wouldn't do it. And he never repents, never trusted in God, and then all that happens. And, he, and he, all you see is there's still no grief. There's just this guilt and shame. What does he say? He does not want these uncircumcised to come and thrust me through and mistreat me. So he kills himself because he thinks that's going to save him from the shame that is waiting him. It's not. It doesn't change anything. He gets stripped of his armor. He gets beheaded. He gets nailed to a wall. His family's dead. His land's just destroyed and abandoned. It's shame still came upon him. But here's the thing. That was only momentary in this life on this earth. Ultimate shame was awaiting him in hell for eternity. Like, so we can be like, oh, well, I don't want the shame here. Well, there's more shame coming more than we could ever imagine, more than we could bear, more than we could even want to try to process in our minds. It's too much. And that's what awaited Saul. See, he, he was sitting there, like I said, like in the movie 300, lit up with arrows, and he kills himself because he had no grief over his sin. He was just guilty, and he's shameful, and all he wanted was to die with some kind of honor. That was all he, wor- he was worried about at this point. And I think about this. I mean, you could die a rock star. Like you, you think about it, there's some people out there who are famous, they're rock stars or whatever, celebrities, and they die. And people will sing their praise like, man, he was, he was so awesome. He did all this stuff. He was so cool. You can die here with all kinds of honor. That doesn't mean honor awaits you in eternity. It just doesn't. Saul is dead. His sons are dead. He's beheaded and stripped. And here's my question for you with your own life is like, if you're unrepentant, what I can't figure out about Saul is, why did he keep trying to fake it? Why fake it? And so this is the only time you're going to have a pastor tell you to sin, I would think, from the pulpit. If you are unrepentant and you know it, like you're like, my heart's not changed. I go here because my spouse makes me or because I got friends here or whatever. Why? If I was unrepentant, my heart wasn't changed, and I'm like, yeah, there might be a God, there might not be a God. I would not try to live out some moral life. I just wouldn't. I would sin it up, dude. I would sin, sin, sin. Like, it'd be awesome. Like, I would just do whatever the heck I wanted. Why not? Like, if you were unrepentant and you're just like, you've came to terms with this fact. Like, I don't really care what happens in eternity. Maybe there's an eternity. Maybe I just die and that's it. It's over. Why? Why? Why would you try to do all this stuff and like try to please a God that you're, you either don't care about or don't believe in. Like it makes no sense. I don't understand why Saul lived his life like that. It makes no sense to me, oh, like going back to what I said about people in other countries, like why would you try to, you would never fake it over there, so why try to fake it here? Just do what you want. Like really just like sin it up because you're going to die one day and you're still going to go to hell, regardless of how, how moral you were here in this life. Only, an unre- only a repentant changed heart through the gospel, through Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. That's the only thing that will get you into heaven, not any of these moral actions that you try to put on the front. 
now in this lifetime, it doesn't matter. You could live to be 100 years old and was super moral to our society standards. And if you are unrepentant and unchanged, you will still die apart from God. And so Saul and all of his actions, it doesn't really matter. His destiny was already told to him and he stayed that course. And it was only going to get worse from there for eternity. So consider your own life. Have you heard warnings from this pulpit or other pulpits of people preaching and telling you the word of God, warning you, if you do this, this will happen. And you're just like, oh no, I don't know if I believe that. Because Samuel kept telling Saul, do this, this is the end result. Do that, this will happen. And he's like, eh, and he just keeps going about it. So from time and time again, like nothing's changed. Like I can stand here and, and very comfortably with a good conscience say to you, like this Bible gets preached each and every week by Corey or myself. And if we bring in someone else to preach, like we know they're going to preach the full counsel of God. They're going to preach the gospel. They're not going to get up here with any kind of nonsense to just make you feel good about yourself. Because at the end of the day, I am not that worried about how you leave here if you like me. Like I care about if you know Jesus and you love him and fully surrender to him. I hope you like me. But that's my own issues of, of an acceptance <laughs> idol, okay? So I, at the end of the day, that's what I want you to know is like, okay, I've heard the gospel preached. But it's not just here. Maybe it's in your MC where people have spoken truth into your life and you've ignored it. They've been in your missional community telling you, like, you need to quit doing that. You need to quit treating your wife that way. Don't speak to your kids that way. Stop never having date nights. If you don't have a date night in your marriage, eventually you guys are going to end up divorced because you're not spending any time with one another. Your whole life is centered around work and your kids, and there's no relationship between you guys, and, and you just keep ignoring, and you keep ignoring, and then five years down the road, you're getting divorced. You're like, I don't know how this happened. Yeah, you do. You do, because someone warned you over and over and over again, stop doing this because this is going to be the end result. Maybe it's been pastoral counseling. Maybe it's just been from your own time in the Word, and you just keep ignoring it over and over again. Someone's telling you, this is going to happen if you keep doing this. And we just blow it off like, no, that won't be us. I'm, that would never happen to me. It will happen to you. You cannot continue to play with sin and act like, oh, well, I'm, I can outsmart it. You can't. It is like a venom that gets into your blood. It will kill you and destroy you and everything around you. Only thing that will change it is the gospel, what Jesus has done. And the only way it's like a, it's like a vaccine for it is like it's Jesus and just repenting to him. So I want you to really like look at your life. Is there something right now that someone is telling you over and over again, warning you about that you keep neglecting, that you keep trying to ignore? Because it will end in divorce or broken relationships or, or destroyed relationships or just being emotionally wrecked. And ultimately, it will, spend, it will end you in eternity separated from God if you're truly unrepentant, if you've never turned to Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus took all that shame for you. I mean, think about it. Samuel warned Saul what would happen. Saul's nailed to a wall. If this doesn't point to Jesus, I don't know what else does. Because Jesus was nailed to a tree. Saul's put to shame, and that's it. David gets ushered in as king. Okay? That's good. That's good. It's the lineage of Jesus right there coming into the kingdom of Israel. But when Jesus gets nailed to the cross, he's ushering in a new covenant. He's taking all the shame. He's bearing all the sin. He didn't, he, he had never sinned. He had took all this on for us. 
so that you didn't have to know the shame, so I didn't have to face God's wrath, so I didn't have to die in my shame. I could die knowing that there is something better that awaits me. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, he knew the shame that was coming on the cross, and yet he went to the cross anyway. Romans 10, 11, for scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Like true belief, not just acknowledging they're saying, oh yeah, there's a God. True belief, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not have to sit in your shame. You do not have to sit there and, and, and feel horrible about the sin. You should grieve it. You should definitely grieve it and repent and, and do things to move away from it. But at the end of the day, you don't have to be condemned. You don't have to be in your guilt because Jesus took that for you. And so I already told you, Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he died and rose again, you will be saved. And so today, I'm, I'm urging you, if you're here and you've just been going through the motions don't leave this room. Like it, would, it just doesn't, to me, I cannot fathom it in my head why you would sit here and hear this if, you don't, if you're just like, I, I don't want that. And if you don't want it, like, that's fine. That's, that's, your, that's between you and God. But like, just know like, it, it doesn't make sense. Not when he's done all this for you. And so, guys, I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to take communion. And this is your chance just to respond to the gospel, to, to hear, like, from God. And like, maybe there's a time that you need to repent. And, and I'm going to talk about that in a second when I read this scripture about communion. But maybe you, you do need to repent. Maybe you, it's the first time you've ever repented. And if so, that is an amazing thing. You've been taken from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You've been made new in Christ. So let me pray. God, thank you so much that you saw us in the midst of all of our sin, when we were enemies to you, when we were rebelling against you and all that we were doing, and you said, you know what? They're worth it. I'm going to step down. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to be born of a virgin in a manger, and I'm going to go and bear all their shame, all their guilt, all their sin for them and pay their, pay their price. I'm going to take the wrath of my Father. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Lord, I pray that anyone in this room who has not yet confessed you as their Lord, believed in their heart that you died and rose again. God, I pray that they'll do it for the first time today. God, for all of us in this room, if we have unrepentant sin, I pray that you reveal it to us, that you absolutely crush us to reveal it to us if, that, if that's what it takes. And God, I, just, I pray that we'll be a church that repents, that we won't be a church that just sits in, our, in the shame of our sin, but we'll grieve it and we'll move on from it towards you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you grab the communion cup on your way in, we're going to take communion together for those that are believers. And those of you who are not yet Christians, I ask that you don't take it. And there's some reasons why. And you can, you can gather that from what I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 says this. This is Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, hear this next part. Corey talked about this last week. It's so important. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread and, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Examine yourself. There's something you need to repent about. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Guys, you take communion when you're ready and then you stand and let's worship God together.